0: This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. I am your host, Lourdes, and today we have on, yet again, the cinematologist who has become the go-to substitute. Now, you just tackled an episode of Movies where you were talking about the Netflix thriller, Cam. I have not seen it myself. I can only assume that it's decent, since you had a pretty positive review of it on the show.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's good to be... Substitute and yeah, stand by the review. I think again, I think it's a little bit of an overhyped kind of entity because it's Blumhouse, it's Netflix, and it's uh, you know it's an indie thing, which which is great in one aspect, but yeah, it's yeah, it's like a six out of ten
0: for me. We are actually going to be talking about another movie that I believe a twenty four released, and that's kind of in the same league as Blumhouse, where it's. Almost looked at as this weird, coveted indie production company. Although, how hard... I mean, I, 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 I don't really view A24 at this point as indie by any means. Yes, they allow filmmakers to do essentially whatever they want, and they'll be very open to taking in certain kinds of films that maybe wouldn't gain distribution from a Warner Brothers or Paramount. But they've blown up so much over the past couple of years. And considering, I think it was Spring Breakers was their first one yeah I think I had mentioned that when I was
1: talking uh, about hereditary on yeah. my yeah my hereditary movies episode it was yeah you would really pointed out spring Breakers and I, I want to say that it was 2013 yeah that's yeah a
0: short amount of time they've they've done some hardcore growth within that period okay actually I'm taking a look right now Spring Breakers was their third movie even worse. I don't know if you've seen this film. I watched this movie, though, when it came out because it was one of those, oh, we're, we're releasing it direct to streaming the same day as the theaters, which was rarely done. I think it was that and The Interview was was known for that because it was like released on Christmas or something. A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III, directed by Roman Coppola, starring Charlie Sheen right off the heels of his HIV-infused coke bender where he wound up getting fired from Two and a Half Men wow Uh, bill murray was in this movie jason schwartzman i remember checking it out and it had that wes anderson kind of aesthetic and i believe roman coppola wrote and directed a lot of wes anderson's uh or uh, just wrote obviously not directed but was involved in a lot of wes anderson's films over the years yeah moonrise kingdom uh maybe uh i don't know but this movie was awful it was dreadful and it got terrible reviews also Geez, I guess they
1: survived that bullet because since then they've turned into, yeah, like you said, a real real kind of household property. And I would agree that it's not necessarily indie, but I also do have to admit I'm kind of going out of my way now for seeing their films just because they're pretty selective in a good way. Yeah. I'd say for the most part, I think I'm still skeptical uh, about projects like... Uh, eighth Grade by Bo Burnham, uh, Burnham, or Mid-90s by Jonah Hill. I, I think that taps a little too much into the kind of angsty vibe they try to give off every once in a while. So I, I don't think they're, um, I, I don't think they're, they hit a home run on everything, but I think they definitely tried to stick to picking by the style and picking something that is primarily visually pleasing, which is good to have a distributor that tries to fit a certain kind of artistic mold every time
0: absolutely you can go down the list right now of the films that they have released over the past couple of years and honestly they're you know some of the best films to have come out in recent memory are under this label here like under the skin uh all oh, this isn't maybe a good movie but i i really enjoyed tusk kevin smith's tusk i thought that was the last really good movie he did it was fun Uh, you know, you have movies like Locke, Obvious Child, Green Room, you know, oh, De Palma. I just watched De Palma the other night, that documentary on Brian De Palma's, uh, film career. Yeah. So they, they definitely have a very good record, even if it's not a hundred percent. I'd, I'd put them like high eighties.
1: They, they did do Moonlight, which, well, they, yeah, distributed it, which won best picture. So they have that for bragging rights, I guess, even though mixed opinions about the movie, but hey, they got recognized and now I'm going out of my way to watch all their movies, so.
0: Sure, Moonlight's an interesting one because when I watched that movie, it was not considered Oscar bait yet. So I watched it and I was like, oh wow, that was a really kind of weird niche movie where it was you know, in Miami and it dealt with uh, the particular subject matter of, I guess, being black and gay at the same time, which could easily be, in today's entertainment industry nothing but virtue signaling or or whatever but i thought it was a very good movie uh that did not cave to ideology over aesthetics which is something brett easton likes to talk about i won't get into that at all but it was a visually stunning film and it almost reminded me of a south korean movie the way that it was shot and just the vagueness of a lot of it and then it got the best picture nomination because For whatever reason, maybe it was the Oscars So White campaign, Hollywood is hung up on rewarding black films or all-black films, regardless of the merit of those movies. And the original one that they had their eyes set on was Nate Turner's The Birth of a Nation. And then that rape scandal came out, and that was hid immediately under the rug. So Moonlight became, like, the next best thing in their perspective. They wanted to give it to a more ethnic film in order to scrub themselves of the Oscars So White campaign. In this case, I definitely thought that Moonlight was deserving of Best Picture, uh, but whether or not it was rewarded strictly because it was a good movie is highly, highly, highly debatable.
1: Well, you know what, from that, actually, and I think we both share a similar opinion about the Oscars being not very favorable, but the one thing I will give Moonlight, and let's let's be um, clear here, it, it's a good movie. Um, I th- <laughs> The thing I'll make clear right now though is that uh it did some great things for independent films. It, it was the lowest budgeted best picture winner ever,
0: which Really? Yeah. I th- I, I think didn't its, know bu- that.
1: its budget was about 2 million, maybe 5, but I, I want to say 2 million bucks. Uh yeah. So it's the lowest budgeted best picture winner which I I think is a real kind of uh kicking the ass to the general kind of bombastic Oscar bait kind of like uh what's it uh the shape of water that that's a 100 yeah. million dollar movie there and but uh in other aspects yeah i think the movie was good because really to me at least when i watched it it was first a visual experience and then second uh narrative experience but yeah, the, the visuals I loved. I loved every bit of cinematography. Yeah, like it, all that
0: gay sex, I bet. You got, were hung up on the gay sex in the movie, the visuals of that... That gay oh. sex everywhere. I don't
1: yeah. know. Hey, hey, the gay sex, the deep blues and purples that just make me feel things while
0: watching it. Oh, yeah. I don't want to know where you saw those deep blues and purples personally. But uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about uh, First Reformed here. Paul Schrader's latest film, that that maniac, that crazy extremist that the FBI <laughs> investigated. Uh, Wait a minute. Wait, I need to be caught up on this. Um, oh, you don't know? I, yeah, I guess
1: I hadn't heard. I, I'd been... Yeah, my head was in the sand, I guess.
0: Yeah, Paul Schrader put out a Facebook post not long after the 2016 election, which was like, oh, I, you know what, I want to find the exact quote, because from how I remember it, it was in, it was kind of inferring that violence was going to come, and there was going to be like, no mercy or something. I I, I don't know. He's like, the revolution is coming. Like, it was this weird. Oh, that was him. Facebook post, okay. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now I remember
1: that one yeah that that made some headlines,
0: yeah, it certainly did let me uh I'm just trying to pull up the i mean the actual to this guy post though.
1: didn't he write taxi driver, sure, yeah, yeah he wrote well, taxi driver it's just it's so interesting to me that these people that have been around for for decades and just conscious about this kind of stuff just fall into the pitfalls like that, but well. So a product of the times, I guess.
0: That is a bit of a a highlight in his uh, toolbox, I guess, as a screenwriter and as a director. He does have a very almost expertise take on covering the psychological aspects and also the the psychological detriment of people in interesting situations. And that plays a part into First Reformed and what that's about. But before we get to that, I did find an article on Paul Schrader's Facebook post. I cannot find just a screen cap of the post, but I remember reading it in the moment. I was like, this is fucking crazy. Uh, So I I have the Washington Times up. I don't know how reliable they are in today's environment, but uh, I'm just going to read this quick little bit. It's literally, the, the entire article itself is maybe about six sentences long. So New York City police paid screenwriter Paul Schrader a visit recently for a Facebook screed that suggested an armed insurrection against a Trump presidency was in order, the Hollywood reporter said on Friday. Schrader dubbed the coming Trump presidency a call to violence and suggested we should be willing to take arms like old John Brown, reported the Hollywood reporter, noting that he quickly deleted his post, but not in time to evade the notice of counterterrorism units within the NYPD so Paul Schrader got paid a visit because he I guess was was hoping his Facebook post would start a revolution Um, well
1: I think the plot of this film is starting to make a little bit more sense now that we've dug back into the
0: history behind it (laughs) oh but we do have a twist here and this is very familiar I think I've heard this somewhere before Mr. Schrader quipped his lapse in judgment was due to washing down the sleep pill Ambien with some wine. Oh. So
1: so that excuse works some of the time.
0: I guess so. I mean, it didn't uh, remove his uh, viability from directing First Reform for A24, so I don't know. But obviously, Paul Schrader, regardless of what you think of the man and his politics, has made an exceptional film with First Reform, and it is really... Surprising, because, as I had mentioned before, he hasn't really been on a hot streak at all over the past maybe two decades or so. I did enjoy Dog Eat Dog, the Willem Dafoe, uh, Nicolas Cage film that came out a couple of years ago because it was so off the rails, and it was almost like uh, if you mixed Quentin Tarantino with David Lynch. It was, it was very... it was something else. And it had a terrible rating, but I was tempted
1: to watch it. I just haven't, but you've given me all the vindication, so...
0: It's it's a very watchable movie, I will say that. But let's get into First Reform, uh, because I want to know, before you watch the movie, did you have any expectations for this film? Yeah, just based on what I saw from the
1: trailer, I, I thought that this one was really going to dig further into the kind of the the kind of surfing through the internet that so many of us do and just fall down this huge rabbit hole. I thought, well, not that it didn't do it, but I thought it was going to go in a a deeper, more kind of, I guess, uh, broad bend than just kind of clinging to the environmental stuff. Because when you had told me about this film, and when I had watched the trailer, the indication I got was that he was going to fall into this world of of just morose, endless, uh, j- just doom and gloom, which is what you can find if you go on places like Twitter very easily. If you just go into the right corner, you yeah. can go for hours and hours and hours spanning across all topics of doom and gloom where people just seem to feed on it like gremlins do after midnight on, on water or food or anything. They stuck with the environmental angle. And then use that to develop him. And that's where the movie took a little bit of a strange turn for me. Because while the movie was visually fantastic, and it, I absolutely, absolutely loved the cinematography, the, everything about it looked great. Uh, the acting was phenomenal. Even by people like Cedric the Entertainer, who went by his name. Now, now, Cedric Kiles. Cedric is Kyle's your... this time. How dare yeah. you, yeah. Yeah, he put in a good performance, and I think it was, was it Amanda Seyfried that was also in it? Uh, She did a fine job too, but mostly um, it was Hawk and uh, Mr. Kyles, we'll refer to him as this time. So on the aesthetic front, as well as the acting front, I loved this movie. But the problem that I had was, again, I guess, versus my expectations of kind of diving into deeper territory, they centralized it to this environmental issue, which is, you can feel strongly in all about the environment and everything, and I do too, but the problem was that it felt so illogical, and it felt like such a huge jump from this guy who seemed to be a good minister, or a good pastor, and seemed to believe in the good in people, even though he had his own kind of inner demons, it never showed that he had any kind of real capacity to harm someone from the
0: first frame of the movie. He's, he's still genuinely trying to console and help people. Well, hold on. I gotta, I gotta stop you there. I believe it's, and I could be wrong about this. I might be misremembering, but I believe in his conversation with uh, the man who is troubled that he's interviewing, he does talk about, doesn't he talk about his war experience? for serving. Well, he does, but uh, I, but he, he, frames it
1: within this context of uh, layman's terms, these challenges are things we need and that there, there's always a design or a plan to these kinds of things. So while he does use that, and I think he used um, his son's death, in, yeah. the, it, in obviously, which doesn't happen in the movie, he frames it in this very uh, positive context of just building off of experience and pain. And it was just stuff like that, that by the film's end, I just didn't buy his motivation. I didn't, I didn't mm. buy that jump in logic of beginning of the movie, he, he's a good guy, good, good minister, consoling people and whatnot. And it takes, I think, 10 minutes worth of browsing online and, and looking at environmental issues to become essentially an eco-terrorist and bomb a whole church of innocent, well, in theory, innocent people. I just thought that's a little extreme when we kind of don't get that natural development, I don't think. I, I think he goes down a real fast, slippery slope.
0: I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I think I actually, I didn't have any trouble accepting that. I, I Well, first of all, I didn't know what to expect when I started watching this movie. I had no idea what the plot was. I actually thought it was going to be a horror movie. I thought it was going to be something closer to hereditary than what we wound up getting. The trajectory that this character, Ernest Toller, Reverend Ernest Toller, it's a terrible character name. What a name. Uh, I, I don't have trouble buying into that because I think that kind of radicalism occurs all, all too frequently now. Now, actually showing up to a church, and spoilers here, I mean, you kind of already spoiled it, but going to a church with a, a bomb vest on, I mean, that that's maybe something else. But, uh, you know, it is a movie at the end of the day, so you have to have these heightened uh, expectations for where things are going to go. But I thought it was a relatively normal trajectory. And I, I think playing into the eco thing was just a neutral way of tackling that. It could very easily be substituted with politics or religion or really any kind of subject matter you'll find great debate around on the Internet. But by going the, the oh, Earth is dying route, or we're hurting the, the, the environment here, I think you're playing it very safe and making an accessible film. Uh, now, is it a little bit of a stretch? Yeah, yeah, it kind of is, where all of a sudden this preacher suddenly gives a shit about Mother Earth or whatever, and he turns into Poison Ivy from Batman. Okay, but uh, I didn't really get too hung up on that so much as the message that was being communicated here. Because like I said, you could swap that out with literally any kind of uh, cause or or thing to take up arms over. Well, I guess my question would be, what
1: what was the message that you felt was being communicated by that narrative?
0: Well, that's difficult to say because the message that I got from it, I don't know if that was necessarily what Paul Schrader was trying to put out with his movie. And we talked about this very briefly before uh, just hanging out or something, but the message that I think Paul Schrader was trying to put out there was much more like doom, you know, like, Oh, we're fucked anyway. So you might as well just enjoy your own ignorance or something. Uh, just, just saddle up and have faith that maybe it won't be all bad because it's too late to change the course now. But the message that I got from it was maybe it's not so bad to be ignorance. Maybe it's actually a sign that things are going pretty okay if everybody is just kind of focused on their own shit, on whatever's on fucking ABC that night, you know, instead of thoroughly researching these topics that are way more complex than one person can handle, even like Elon Musk or somebody of great importance can only do so much at the end of the day. And that maybe we should all just take a step back and revel in just day-to-day interactions, and not so much the greater uh, components of society and life that, again, can't be altered by one person in a day.
1: Well, yeah, I guess I can see what you mean by that. I I wouldn't even disagree that much, like, when you take into account the ending and everything. But I I just keep getting tripped up, I think, over how we get there, that he evolves from A to B. And because of that, I, I was asking this question to myself throughout the movie and especially toward the last act in that, okay, he's he's taking up his cause. Cool. That's fine. Where is that going to go? And he really only takes up that, begins to take up that cause in the second act. And then by act three, he's ready to go guns a blazing. I think it's just that they wanted, they... they I think they had a good vision for the character in being kind of comparable to Breaking Bad, where it's, oh, well, let's take Mr. Chips and turn him into Scarface. Now it was, let's take the mild-mannered minister and turn him into the next newsworthy scumbag or terrorist. And cool, very interesting arc to present. How do you get there? And I, I just thought a couple scenes of him scrolling through the internet while throwing back whiskey and 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 arguing with uh Cedric Kyle's character who I believe is like the kind of um one of one of the archdiocese like delegates or or whatever um and and his kind of negligence toward that like you were like you were talking about I I just think it doesn't paint a very clear picture I think of who this guy is yeah he was in the war yeah, his son died. Sorry, my girlfriend is arguing with me about the movie. So,
0: wait, does well, she uh, think you're wrong as well? Or does she
1: kind of thinks I'm wrong because um, he, because well, he also had like uh, stomach or esophageal cancer, like something like that. Yeah, uh, and sure, you can see that as a device for him to say, "Oh, well, I'm going down. I'll, I'll take the world with me." And I, I guess that's probably the most logical motivation he has. Uh, I, I just think. Uh, he he comes off very sympathetic, but then he just takes this kind of 180 toward, again, I'm going to kill a church full of people that are either like my regular parishioners or my uh, associates. This one guy that I don't like, this one piece of shit, I'll kill everybody else to just kill him. That's where, again, I'm just kind of like, whoa. But it...
0: I don't know if it's i mean it's not a r- it's not a rational decision to make by any means there are a number of different character traits within uh the toller character that I think you can build a profile for in saying that okay, maybe it's not too big of a stretch that he would wind up going off his rocker like you would just pointed out that your your girlfriend was shouting at you about was that he has a potentially uh life ending illness and Maybe more than one, because he 's got so many fucking problems he 's going to take a piss and it looks like uh you know rust coming out of his out of his bladder you know i don 't know he 's got so many different problems he lost his son he 's a man of deep religious faith and he 's got well he witnesses a well he doesn 't witness a suicide, but he stumbles across the dead body of a man who he felt like he could maybe potentially save there 's a number of different things that I guess could be considered the the buildup to that, uh, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I suppose so.
1: It, it, and again, I, I don't want to get too hung up on this and, and just try to just try to argue how it doesn't make any sense. But I guess um, just at the end of the day, it was that was something that just came off a little unnatural at times to me. That I I just kind of fell out of sync with the character in that sense, and I I didn't find him. I guess, well. Likeable would be one word, but I I just think at at a certain point I slipped away from understanding his his point of view. But I mean that could just be me. And I I I
0: think that's supposed to be a product of the movie where there comes a point where he he just seems like a very dark character, and he's supposed to alienate the audience because his mission statement as a human does change, and obviously for the worse.
1: But I mean, I'm I'm not going to harp on that for the whole time, even though I pretty much have. But uh, because because no, because aside from that, I actually enjoyed everything else about the movie. It was just that one thing that that just kind of served as this uh, like speed bump. But the, I mean, the rest of the movie was proficiently put together. It, it just I think the overall kind of sense of. Uh, dread the aura that was over the movie was really engaging in just like I I was just sunken into that the whole time and it always felt like all the other characters were like kind of like how you said negligent to the point where there was this dramatic kind of tension or irony underneath even before Ethan Hawke's character went all out like crazy there was always this sense of something's going to happen. And yeah. always this kind of suspense going.
0: Let me ask you, what did you think of the 4.3 aspect ratio? Because I was surprised by that. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. That was great. It, yeah, I it, made, it. it made certain shots earlier on in the movie where he's sitting down with that unhinged character who's obviously contemplating violence against himself and others. That conversation where they're just cutting back and forth and having this almost ideological dialogue Felt like something out of a nineteen forties or nineteen fifties movie. If you just added uh grayscale to it and up the contrast some, it could very well have the look and feel of something like uh I don't know, Paths of Glory or On the Waterfront. Something like that. It would not fit in to that era.
1: I'll give um I'll give Schrader the benefit of the doubt that that's kind of what he was going for and that that's the feeling he was going for. Um I can't be certain. I'd, I'd probably have to watch it again to really sink into like visually what they were trying to do with that. But I, I just enjoyed it because it, it gave the film a different, a completely different mindset from the first frame where I was on a different kind of subconscious level. And I mean, th- there's got to be some artsy fartsy reason they did it. But just like from a visual standpoint, I think it actually emphasized some of the shots quite a bit more because you have to frame better with four by three or four. Yeah. Four to three aspect ratio. You have to, you have to be more mindful of things because it's, it's a square. It's not widescreen. Like the opening shot of, uh, dollying in on the church, I thought was, was an awesome shot. And they have a series of those like that. So maybe it was just a challenge they wanted to pose to themselves as well. And I think they, yeah, they delivered because, Again, with these A24 films, if there's one thing most of them deliver on, it's the visual aspect. And that's why I like their films a lot. Because you can have all the messages and you can have all the best performances and scripting that money can buy. But if the movie doesn't look good, it's not going to sell to, I think, a huge number of people.
0: I give Schrader a lot of credit for being as restrained as he was in terms of this movie could have easily, easily taken a nosedive if he decided to get a little self-indulgent with it and put in his own personal messages beyond the, the greater one that is already vague enough as it is, but I think we kind of get the idea that technology and obsession is bad. And I, I kind of thought maybe the 4.3 aspect ratio was an accompanying thing to that, like, oh, maybe we need to rewind a little bit. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a good yeah, good point. Um, Where would you put this movie in terms of the general slate of films to come out in 2018? Before we continue discussing it more, because for me, it's very high up on the list. I I, I think this and You Were Never Really Here have been jumping around the number one, two, and maybe three spot uh, since I had seen them where uh, they are really cream of the crop for me. But obviously, you have some problems with this movie, so I don't think it would probably be a number one for you. But would you consider this one of the better films of the year? And how do you feel about this year in movies so far? Well, just in terms of this
1: year and its place, I, I think by default, it's got to be on the, definitely on the upper echelon because, again, just the craftsmanship that they come to this with and the the absolute just chemistry of all the actors and the believability of their performances again with my issues minus a couple things on hawk's part but his performance nonetheless is great yeah as as is everybody else's so by default i do have to admit this is one of the better movies of the year if not one of the best that i've seen Uh, i have some catching up to do with this year but the general impression i've gotten from 2018 isn't I would say it's kind of a positive one because I think it's a, it's a difference between me being able to see this at my local cinema or having to wait till Redbox, like I did.
0: I can't but believe you still use Redbox regularly. The
1: one physical kind of thing we have left, and I, I, I like yeah. that better than because you just actually if if you go to Cinemassacre, there there is a kind of kind of funny video that James did where. He, he simulates the Netflix experience where you're, ju- you're just sitting there scrolling and you just have no idea what to pick because it's just endless choices with very kind of vague indications of if, if they'll be worth your time.
0: So, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I actually, I think we're going to see a resurgence of physical media. And, you know, when I, had, uh, when I had gone to Japan, one thing that I did not anticipate was the emphasis in their general society in the big cities especially on having what we consider an inconvenience here to be very prominent there. I'll give you an example. They still have phone booths everywhere. They have vending machines. Same with South Korea. Both of these places had vending machines on every single block where you could just buy food, coffee, whatever it might be. Another thing was I would get on the bus or I'd get on the train and people had CD players People were buying CDs en masse at Tower Records and these other places. It was really remarkable to me how there was still an infatuation with these things. And, you know, I just I just finished recording an episode with Jake Hanrahan of Popular Front where we were talking about how the internet has changed. And five or ten years ago, you could very easily just type in piratebay.org and start downloading movies left and right. Nowadays, and I don't know if this is a sign of my my... Age or or if, you know maybe it is just getting a little tighter, but it's harder to find torrent engines where you can search for whatever you're looking for, find it, download it without getting some kind of virus. Like these these places are being cracked down on, like PrimeWire.ag, that ag, Pirate Bay, torrents with a z. All these places are closing up, and I think what's going to wind up happening is the realization within you know people who enjoy media is you don't own it unless you own it it can disappear at any moment. So. It, so
1: it sounds like I would fit in in Japan and Korea, because I, I, I'm i a fucking dweeb. I still buy CDs a lot. I, I started collecting vinyls. That's that's pretty fun to do. I even have laser discs. That's yeah. a,
0: that, that one's a step too far for me. I, not I like not when you get VHS, them as cheap but,
1: as I did. So, uh, sure. But yeah, I think you're right, and it's funny. It kind of ties in with the, the theme you had said you picked up on with first reformed here and and I think in that regard uh, I think it's right and if that's the point the movie's making then it's one that I can agree with kind of like how you said with the idea of pay phones and, and telephone booths and everything still over in those very well off countries like Japan is just like us uh yeah. financially speaking and culturally speaking for the most part but yeah I I think there's a real theme there that maybe in my opinion could have been a little bit better explored because yeah, Hawk's character, he gets too infatuated and too emotionally invested in what he can dig up in the cyber world that he doesn't mesh well with the here and now of the physical real world. Like the people like Cedric Kyle's character are much more focused on the here and now, the, the physical element of things and the way things are. Maybe they're not perfect. Maybe everybody's a little negligent of some very serious matters, but they're not being consumed by the same apparatus that that Hawk lets himself be. And again, yeah. if, mm-hmm. if that is what Schrader was going for, I can say, great, like, ni- nicely thought out premise. Again, I just think he fell short maybe in illustrating it you don't have to spell it out for me but I think to come to that conclusion like you did um, with the subject matter at hand and with the imagery at hand I think is um, I wouldn't say completely assuming of you but but I would say it's it's definitely not based on a <laughs> on a plethora of like visual cues in the movie.
0: Do you find any other weak points within this film because I thought as far as the performances went, it was all very well rounded. Obviously we covered the cinematography and just the general look of the movie and that is stellar. And really the only complaints you've had have been regarding the telling of the story at least
1: uh yeah how did how did you like that like three minutes of just straight making out at the end between Hawk and
0: seyfried well, I was gonna I was gonna cover that from a different angle though, which was that uh you know, there was a lot of talk about the ending of taxi driver where his character goes on that shooting spree, saves the child prostitute Jodie Foster, and he becomes a hero and it's like this crazy fringe lunatic. Just became a national hero, and a lot of people online had come up with the theory, the counter theory that oh, this is all in Travis Bickle's head. Well, Paul Schrader said no, 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 no. This, this, this that's the ending. T- take it at face value. That's the ending. Which I kind of I don't like that he he said that. You know, I think it should be up for interpretation. Absolutely, but uh, I get it. I get it. So to kind of make amends for that, he did this ending, which is deliberately vague, and. When I saw that, and just like the whole ending in general, is so weird. It's so bizarre. I, I I love how just creepy and weird and gross his character gets at the end. But to end it with <laughs> to end it with uh, Ethan Hawke's Ernest Toller making out with Amanda Seyfried while he has you know the barbed wire all over his body to me it reads as dream sequence. I think I think there's a good shot that uh, the ending to that movie is really the cancer or whatever problem he's got going on with him, taking him before he can properly fulfill his suicide mission. Or maybe he does go through with the suicide mission. Or maybe Amanda Seyfried just doesn't mind barbed wire and blood all over her body. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, That was an ending that I think was definitely purposefully perplexing in that sense because it's just, it just drags. I wouldn't say it drags, but they just hold it so... Long and long to the point where it's begging you to guess. I think what it means, or if it's even real. a little too much, right? Yeah, because right before then, isn't isn't he about he's he's going to drink some kind of poison, isn't he? Or
0: oh no no oh he's about to drink oh yeah that's right that's right he does he does pour himself a glass of Drano and he's about to down it, and that's when Amanda Seyfried walks in. So maybe he downed the glass of Drano, maybe he didn't. Uh, I personally think. If we didn't see it happen, then it didn't happen. In that way, I almost think it's too vague.
1: Yeah, I, maybe that's one of those kind of art housey endings, and maybe Schrader is doing it kind of as a slap in the face to people that just want to try to dissect it over and over again. And it could be as simple as Amanda Seyfried developing the hots for this bloody barbed wired priest. Who wouldn't? Uh, <laughs> but. Yeah, I try not to get hung up on those things. And if it has any kind of effect on me afterward, I'll, I'll let it linger and and really make the decision then. But I, yeah, for, for the sake of that, I'm going at face value because I think that might serve the narrative a little bit better than something ambiguous like that. So I, I think it's really the the, the thing being Seyfried being kind of this one savior, the only person that could pull him out of it and that, that keeps him attached mm-hmm. to this world that he's become so frustrated with. That That's the only way I can really see it, other than if you want to spin it any other way, well, it, it begs so many, so many different questions, I think. Well, let me so, ask you
0: something completely separate and actually more so on the note of what I was talking about before, Taxi Driver. Do you think this movie is a good companion piece to Taxi Driver? And if so or not, why? I
1: guess I would have to depend on how this holds up and reflects its time like taxi driver does because taxi driver came out just in just after the ending of the Vietnam War and it's it's about mm-hmm. a Vietnam War veteran so i think i think it's going to be interesting to just see how how if this lives up with any kind of historical reputation like taxi driver it's weird and- i
0: i actually i agree with you on that i think it's going to depend on where the culture unfolds in the next coming years. Like if we go to a darker place than where we're at now, I could see it holding up a little better. But if if we pull ourselves out of the muck, so to speak, uh, it could look like an overreaction to something.
1: Well, you see, the tone of the film actually kind of even conveys that because if we're going to talk about Ethan Hawke, if he's truly going off the rails and if we're all agreeing to that, then the other characters are right when they tell him that yeah times are a little different right now but we just need to continue to live like we yeah. have and th- this is this is all said by Cedric Kyle's uh in one of their opening exchanges or at least about midway through the film he very level headed and says yeah listen things we're not going to pretend that things are completely okay but at the same time we just got to move on and continue how we normally do. And Ethan Hawke's character is the one seeking this kind of bombastic, well, literally, retribution of 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 unjust and unrequited uh, abuse of our world and endangerment of our people. And maybe his actions and his motivations are an encapsulation of just how over the top and radicalized some on well. Really, a bunch of people on either side of the political or ideological aisle.
0: Do you think that Paul rest? Schrader looks at Ethan Hawke's character, Ernest Toller, as somebody who is justified in his feelings or actions, or do you think he actually is trying to position him as the nut that he becomes?
1: That's a good question because we're talking about the guy who, again, was investigated by the FBI. Yeah, after so the that, thats the
0: thing that trips me up. Is does he view? Ernest Toller, as somebody who has been consistently wrong, or does he look at him as a man who's justified in his anger, who does the wrong thing, and that the characters like Cedric Kyles and others who are complacent to the rotting of the earth are the the bad guys as opposed to the voices of reason
1: yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting dynamic to set up because the good guys in this in this case who we would probably see as the good guys. Yeah, are the bad guys so that's kind of that's kind of another well yeah th- that's
0: that's the thing i really admire oh. about this movie whether it was intentional or not is you do have a flip-flop there where the complacent are the more rational people right where, where they are looked at as the positive light of the film and the person who matters and maybe he has a point in that yeah we shouldn't be letting the earth die and the environments rot sure okay He might be valid in his points, but so is Magneto, you know, in all those X-Men movies. Like, yeah, he doesn't want to get bossed around and mistreated and killed, you know? But that doesn't justify what he does. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Do you think it matters what Paul Schrader intended if this is a message that came across instead? I, I think...
1: I think something is... Yeah, there is a mesh of things being said there that I think should be maybe interpreted as shouldn't be completely negligent to everything going on, but keep your sanity and don't Mm -hmm. let it eat you uh, in in layman's terms. So what in terms of what matters in terms of like, you mean the environmental stuff or do you mean in terms of No, I
0: I just mean what? what has been communicated regarding being so woke that it drives you mad as opposed to not doing anything at all and just being caught up in your own personal affairs.
1: Oh, geez. Well... I get th- that, that's like a personal thing. That's, that's a, everybody would like to think that they are, they're knowledgeable about most things. And that what they believe in matters the most. If you believe that going absolutely crazy for it, because it's what you believe in is the right thing to do, then I, I think there's your answer. But that That's why I guess this is a really subjective film. You could find yourself on the side of any of these characters, depending on what you think of the current state of the world so may again, maybe Schrader left this open for well, everybody's gonna have a point of view to to agree with here or or a point of view to to attach yeah. themselves to here and I don't know if I don't know if polarized would be the right word, but maybe he wanted people to just feel like they could fall into either of the i guess kind of group thinks if you will presented in the movie and and not even about the environment like we've kind of said just kind of about the overall attitude in uh, yeah. worldview and, and overall kind of like I said philosophy. I, I
0: really don't think that the environment is really central to anything here and I don't think Paul Schrader really cares about that aspect either I think you like I said before you can substitute that with just about anything it's just the reactions to these things and the metastasis of of this person's uh psyche as a result of that um just to get back to taxi driver real quick let me ask you who do you find to be a more malevolent character between Ernest Toller and Travis Bickle.
1: I think, at least with Travis Bickle, you you have a very good idea of
0: yeah. what he's. He's a through. he's a he's kind of a nasty and... character, but it's different in the end. In that he, I would I would actually make the argument that he's more of a toxic character than Ernest Toller, just because he acts, and Ernest Toller. Just kind of idly sits by and lets his thoughts uh, decay his brain. Where uh, Travis Bickle, you know, he 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 fought for America. He's observing his his environment and seeing that things are changing, and he's not reacting positively to that. But he then does something in the end, which can be viewed as heroic. He saves a child from uh, you know sex slavery essentially. Whereas Ernest Toller sees something that. You know, you could very easily make the case for is a uh, you know a genuine problem with climate change or whatever, regardless of what you believe in. If you if you want to believe that pollution's bad, then and I think we can all agree pollution's bad, but the severity of it could obviously be debated. Uh, then that's something a little more noble than I don't like that you know you have blacks and Hispanics moving into New York City and changing neighborhoods or whatever it might be, uh, which is more Travis Bickle's plight. Uh, But obviously the difference here is that Ernest Toller goes down a more sinister path and tries to wipe out a church full of people and Bickle saves one girl from a bunch of scumbags.
1: Yeah, and I think it's Bickle, with anybody that knows about the Vietnam War, probably came back to being called the baby killer after probably getting his head blown off a bunch of times and seeing dozens of people in his company being killed. Whereas again, with the Toller character there's some trauma there and there there's some there's some hardship in his past also
0: i i don't mean to interrupt that, you real quick i was just going to say that's not to say that travis bickle's main complaint is because of different demographics or something because i had specifically cited the blacks and hispanic things that is actually more of what paul schrader had in mind when writing is him being more of a racist character than what martin scorsese rolled with i think in the film it's more so communicated that it's just the the crime and honestly new york was a was a hotbed for crime back in the '70s especially, so anyway i 'm sorry, go right ahead and finish your point.
1: Well, I just think yeah with toller it's th- there 's definitely some trauma there and there, there's some hardship but i don 't think i don 't think he 's painted a vivid enough picture of the world because he seems like he has his head in the sand uh, i mean figuratively speaking at the beginning of the movie, and then when he comes across all of this new information, suddenly he channels that into his devolution, if you will, yeah. Um, so I, I can at least believe that uh, Travis Bickle is more genuinely off-put by his experiences, whereas perhaps because of Ernest Toller's drinking problem or his existential crisis with his sickness— he just plunges down a horrible path that's not very logically thought. Now you can say what Travis Bickle does isn't logical because it's terrible most of what he does. You you can you can map it out from A to, sure. a to B. Not to he's- gloss
0: over uh what Travis Bickle attempts earlier in the film which is assassinating a politician. The the federal agents wind up kind of thwarting that and he's on the run or whatever. Uh so there is that kind of instability where it could have been channeled into something way darker but it comes out the other end as a hero. Um any other thoughts on first reform?
1: Yeah, I'll just be interested to see where this lands this award season. Uh as we are recording this it had just Schrader I believe won best screenplay. Uh Hawk I believe won best actor and gave a very self-congratulatory <laughs> speech. I know you had a problem uh, there. Yeah. <laughs> You did a good job, man. You don't have yeah. to tell yourself that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested to see how it does because if this is the kind of buzz that it's getting, and even me, even though I had problems with the movie, uh, I yeah, I, I'd like to see it get some recognition, at least in the visual aspect. You know what I would like to see? I would like to see, maybe this is a jump on my part, but I really enjoyed his performance. Uh, Cedric Kyles, I'd like to see him get some recognition in the award circuit. It was, it was against hype. He hasn't done many of those roles. He, super mm-hmm. believable actually about, I want to say midway into the film, I kind of forgot it was him oh, who yeah, was playing yeah. the character. So I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to see him get some recognition. Um, cause Hawk is a shoe in. So, and I think the, the film is more than Ethan Hawk and yeah, I think you could have interchanged somebody in with, Hawk, Ethan Hawke's character and the rest of the cast still didn't I would be curious
0: job. to look into the overlap of what gets nominated and what wins at the Gotham Awards, and then later on the Golden Globes or the Academy Awards. I'm not very familiar with the, the Gotham Awards, but my, my inclination was that they were going to ignore First Reformed entirely. I think it's a little too complex of a movie for them to reward, and it also came out too early in the year, for them to push it for any oscars i think i think there, there there might be a good shot that ethan Hawke gets a best actor nomination but i can't see and i would actually i i think it would be a perfect best picture nomination maybe no i i don't know if i would give paul schrader best director it, it depends on we got to see how the year continues to unfold but maybe maybe i wouldn't be opposed to any of that i think it's a great film but uh I, I don't know. It just might have been released a little too early.
1: Well, you, you say complex, and I, I definitely agree with you because those kind of unpacking the themes that we've talked about tonight, and even some of them I kind of didn't even consider on first glance or kind of first um, internal review of this film. But the thing I will say is its selling point to the awards crowd is the environmental yeah, yeah, angle. That's true. May, may, maybe that was a design. Maybe that was a des- designed by Schrader to really kind of stick it to the industry after having some bad luck in recent years and saying, hey, I can take on something a little bit more three-dimensional, but it's going to tickle you guys' fancy the way you, you like. It's it's going to have something you can attach your platform to, that being yeah. the environmental. Uh, and I, the environmental I do think it is designed in a so, way
0: for uh, both... Both aisles, or, or or both sides of the aisle, to kind of find something about this movie that they like and want to bolster it a little bit. Uh, whether or not that becomes the case, I don't know. But you just raised a very good point in that the environmental angle could be definitely something that gives it a little bit of a boost heading into award season.
1: Well, because if you think of yeah, what award seasons usually attach themselves to, it's usually trying to gratify themselves getting dressed up to hold gold statues that really don't have any kind of societal merit oops did i say that i'm a filmmaker too um but they usually try to attach it to a consistent theme and yes socio-political stuff is pretty much always part and parcel i bet the post is going to be that that was last year or was that last year and it was it it got uh, best director best
0: picture nominations didn't win shit though Nobody gave a fuck about that movie.
1: Oh good. Okay, good. Jeez. And you see, that's how forgettable that was. But anyway, uh yeah, I think that's going to be that that's going to be interesting to see because I think them taking the environmental angle is something that hasn't completely been done yet or really explored kind of uh, cinematically at least to this extent where some, because I mean, what's,
0: what's, what's been out there really day after tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I like that. It's this. And then the day after tomorrow, the two, two, two extremes
1: here. Oh, I was going to say, I was going to say in in inconvenient truth, which I think has been the most like (laughs) factually incorrect documentary that's come out Mm. in the last like 12 years. I think it will be interesting to see if the academy i wouldn 't even say it's a gamble, but maybe for their purposes, yeah, something a little a little bit more well, what enigmatic i, what, for I them, mean what 's really we'll in
0: contention at this point, and you could you know it, it, this is what 's crazy about the academy awards and why it 's such a fucking joke, excuse my language here i don 't like swearing on this podcast it's it 's for senior citizens and children, of course, but uh you know they <laughs> it, it's almost uh, it 's too early it 's too early in the in the year. To really see what has a good shot at being nominated, they release everything on like Christmas Day and the thirtieth, and it's all like at the very last minute they want to get that push out there. The later you release your movie, the better the odds are, because you'll see like generic Clint Eastwood film or Steven Spielberg, whatever dad flick he's making. You know, so uh, I what what really holds a shot right now, if not this? Yeah, I I think there might be a couple
1: items like out what? there, but. Well, You Were Never Really Here like that that's I, one I that don't, you seem yeah. to love. And I don't I don't think they will that...
0: nominate that one at all just because of the subject matter in that film and their whole f- cuz here here's the deal here here's a little spoiler about You Were Never Really Here it deals a lot with powerful people and pedophilia senators people people who have uh government power trading children and Joaquin Phoenix is like a private investigator who's like a bruiser. He goes in there. Wait, wait, wait. What oh, are you I'm not, I'm not, look, I'm not, I'm not I'm not implying that Hollywood is full of pedophile rapists, but I mean these are the kinds of things that, you know, can be drawn is oh, we don't want to touch that. And it did get a pretty small release in the United States. Well, Lynn Ramsey's is a is a pretty uh, not underground director, but she's very independent and her films haven't really gotten like big releases anyhow. So just just because of the subject matter, I think that will be totally ignored.
1: Yeah, Widows by uh, yeah. Steve McQueen, I think, is going to be one that's thrown in there. He was angry that it got a 91% on, on Rotten <laughs> He's got a tomatoes. good track
0: record. I mean, uh, Hunger with uh, Michael Fassbender, which was his first movie, I believe, or, or at least his first uh, well-received movie that was released in the mainstream uh, and got into the Criterion Collection on the first go-around – that movie was very good. Uh, Shame was even better. 12 Years a Slave was a great film. So I don't know. I'm very curious about Widows. I I, I think that comes out this week or came out last week or something. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, uh, Steve McQueen was not happy with the reception, with the overwhelmingly positive <laughs> response he got for his movie, I guess. No. Uh, <laughs>
0: you know, I, I think we might anyway. be tumbling toward an Oscar season kind of similar to the last Oscar season where it was like, what is going to be nominated? We might just have like a weird hodgepodge of different films that maybe you wouldn't see otherwise because a lot of other movies have been, you know, just painted in scandal for one reason or another, whether it's actors or directors who have been involved in the Me Too thing, or maybe, you know, the subject matter of the movie isn't looked at as appropriate. Like, I feel like we had a really weird roundup of, Best Picture nominees, like Three Billboards The Shape of Water, these were not movies you could see being nominated in 2008 or 2009. Three Billboards was terrible. That was awful, (laughs) awful I like Three Billboards. I didn't think it deserved all the praise and nominations and wins that it got, but where can people find you online, besides the comment section of the Low Res Facebook page?
1: Oh yeah, so Facebook, Cinematologist Movie Reviews, YouTube, The Cinematologist, one that's been on there since 2009 not the well, two other floater channels that You're have the Tologist on name. Twitter, right? On Twitter, yeah, the Tologist. because they they made the handle for me but I think it actually oh. sounded good. So, um, yeah, Twitter the Tologist.
0: Anyhow, that has been movies for this week. Next week we are going to be discussing I think Annihilation, which has been one that I've been meaning to watch. I'm mm-hmm. checking it out tonight, so hopefully it's good. We we'll, we we'll, we'll see how it goes. Alright, thanks for tuning in, and until next time.